Good morning. Still looking forward to the time we can actually physically gather together, but it's wonderful to be able to share in this worship time with the folks gathered here tonight. And as we gather around here now on Sunday morning, around the living room, study, wherever you may be, we invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke 18 and follow along. And again, parents, it's a great opportunity for you to help your children to follow along as we read God's Word. Luke 18, and beginning in verse 15. Hear now the Word of God. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray together. Father, again, we pray that by your word and spirit, you would strike a chord in our hearts and that we might look to you as our benevolent, glorious, heavenly Father. And we as your children, thank you for your mercies towards us in Christ. Strengthen our faith and may we continue to come to you as needy children, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Children are often loved and adored in our culture, especially in the West. We ooh and ah over their accomplishments. We take their drawings and we put them on the family trophy case, the refrigerator. We go to their games and we cheer them on even when they're too young to know which goal is theirs. We enjoy celebrating our children. We celebrate them with bumper stickers. My child is an honor student. Maybe you've seen the other bumper stickers that are customized with mom and dad and a certain number of children and the family pets that are on the back of minivans. We have the stickers displaying proud parent of a terrific kid. Maybe you saw the Facebook meme in light of our stay-at-home order and a lot of the extra help parents are having to give their children in schoolwork and the Meme reads, day two, I saw my neighbor peeling off their proud parent sticker of their car. Well, the people in Jesus' day wouldn't have peeled those stickers off because they would not have put them on in the first place. In that day and age, in that culture, they saw children as an interruption. They saw them as an unnecessary inconvenience, a bothersome at best Mike McKinley wrote that children were right next to tax collectors in terms of whom uh, rabbis would want to spend their time. And yet here we are, parents bringing their infants to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples rebuked them. We're not told exactly why. They were probably men of their culture, men of their day. They saw the children and this as an interruption, as an inconvenience, possibly even a waste of time for Jesus and for them. And yet Jesus took this time as an opportunity, a teaching moment, to remind his followers again of the nature of the kingdom of God. And in this incident, we see that Jesus stressed the necessity of including children in the kingdom of God. Luke tells us they were bringing infants for Jesus to touch them more than likely to touch them in order to bless them. This was something that had taken place as far back as Jacob, as Jacob placed his hands on his children. 
and he blessed them with the covenant blessings of God himself in Genesis 48. And the tense of the verb bringing reminds us that this was a regular recurring event in Jesus' ministry. Somebody wrote that one commentator said, one will search ancient literature in vain for sympathy towards the young comparable to that shown them by Jesus. As they brought these infants to him, Jesus welcomed them with open arms. And so his disciples strongly objected. They rebuked the crowds for doing this. The word rebuke is a strong word. It's used early in Luke's gospel for rebuking the demons. They were adamant. Jesus does not have time for these rugrats. Move on. But in turn, Jesus rebuked them. Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of God. You know, we live in a culture that both celebrates children, and yet there's part of the Western culture that there's a growing disdain for children as well. Many are misused and abused. Millions have been aborted simply because they are an unwanted inconvenience. But how encouraging it is to know that Jesus loves the children, even the infants. This is why Christians in first century Rome would often go out to the city dump where babies were discarded and left to die, especially little girls. And the Christians would take those dirty, filthy babies up in their arms who had been wallowing in that dirt, in that ash heap, and they would take them home and clean them and embrace them and adopt them for their own. This is why Christians over the years and throughout the centuries have started orphanages and schools and encouraged foster care. This is why throughout the centuries, Christians have remained adamant in support of children. And it's why Christians today remain adamant, opposed to abortion and child abuse, because Jesus is opposed to these things. He loved, he wanted, he welcomed the discarded inconveniences of society. That little song is true. Jesus loves the little children, and so do his followers. And I'm so thankful for those who demonstrate love and care, parents who spend hours loving and supporting and encouraging their children. I'm so thankful for those whom God has called to foster care and to adopt and to be involved in orphanages. And I can honestly say that Adoption is one of the greatest things that has happened to me in my life as a grandfather. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. and Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. But how do we bring our children to Jesus? Well, we bring them to Jesus when we read them the scriptures and we pray with and for them. We bring them to Jesus when we gather them around for family devotions and we catechize them and encourage them to memorize the scriptures. We bring them to Jesus by actively involving them in the body of Christ and in Christ's church. We bring them to Jesus when we point out their and our sin and need of repentance and of faith in Jesus and the cleansing blood of our Savior. We bring even our infants to Jesus baptism, as we ask God to apply the covenant sign and seal of his, of his grace to them and to our family. In short, we bring our children, even today, to Jesus 
through the appointed means of grace. Even our baptismal vows reflect this. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? The second vow is, do you claim God's covenant promises in his or her behalf? And do you look in faith of the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation as you have for your own? Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God in promise and humble reliance upon the divine grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek and endeavor to set before them a godly example, that you will pray with and for them, that you'll teach them the truths of the Christian faith, and that you'll strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In these vows, we hear the echo of the voice of the Apostle Paul. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In these vows, we hear the echo of the voice of the psalmist. We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell the next generation the mighty deeds and the wonders that God has done. We hear the echo of the voice of Joshua, when many others were chasing after the gods of this world, his resolve by God's grace, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And certainly in those baptismal vows, we hear the echo of the voice of Jesus himself. Let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. And I'm so encouraged when I see this fleshed out in our families where Parents are intentionally and lovingly discipling their children and, and training their children in the things of Christ. The other Sunday night, we were having our Zoom small group Bible study. And by the way, I am Zoomed out. I had Zoom meetings today. I'll have more Zoom meetings this week. I'm ready to be together. I'm ready to see you face to face and bump elbows or something. But we're having our small group Zoom meeting and uh, little Eli Rapokas uh, photo-bombed, or should I say, Zoom-bombed our study. And while we were laughing and enjoying it, I said, Hey, Eli, who made you? And he looked at the camera and said, God? I said, What else did God make? God made all things. And I said, Well, why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. That made my night. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, God has ordained praise. It's so encouraging to see parents teaching and training and encouraging and pointing their children and bringing their children through the means of grace to the feet of Jesus. Let me say one other thing about the importance, I think, of family devotions, and especially in light of what we're going through in our nation. Many of our children are concerned. They have questions. Some are facing anxiety over COVID-19. And family devotions can be a wonderful, safe place for them to ask those kinds of questions and, and for parents to give in the context of Scripture and a Christ-centered focus uh, answers and, and pointing them to trust and reliance upon Christ. Our children will be facing many other issues in the days and years to come in our culture. And what a wonderful place, what a wonderful context to point them to Christ, to bring them to Jesus, if you will, and helping them to understand more fully his lordship in their lives. But there is one other optional vow in our book of church order around 
the issue of covenant baptism, and it's directed to the congregation. Many of you have heard this, and you've raised your hand in support. The question is this. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? What does this mean? What are some ways that we can fulfill this vow? How can we come alongside parents and assist them in bringing children to Jesus? Well, we can do that through serving in the nursery. And there's always need and there's always a place for volunteers. You may want to teach children Sunday school. Uh, We literally have people in our church who have taught children Sunday school for decades. And I praise God for your service to our little ones. You may want to get involved with our children on Sunday evenings, or our youth group on Sunday evenings or Wednesday evenings. Coming alongside struggling parents and praying with and for them and offering to help out with some of their child, children's responsibilities and responsibilities they face at home. As grandparents, you have a tremendous opportunity to minister to the little ones within this congregation, but also to your own uh, physical grandchildren as they're maybe scattered around, but continuing to think of ways that you can pray for and point them to Christ. I recently read a book by Josh Mulvihill entitled Grandparenting, Strengthening Your Family and Passing on Your Faith. And in that book, Mulvihill challenges grandparents not just to be the big toys, not just be the dispensers of gifts and trips, although there's a wonderful place for that, but to think and pray and work towards pointing your grandchildren to the person and work of Jesus, of encouraging them to pass along that faith towards them. And you think of testimonies often of people coming to faith in Christ. How often do you hear the testimony of somewhere in the back a a grandparent praying for that child? Timothy's own testimony, Paul, as he wrote him, said, it was your grandmother and mother who God used to instill the holy scriptures in you, which ultimately pointed you to the person and work of Christ. This is how we bring our children to Jesus. But how might we hinder them from coming to him? We hinder them by hiding these things from them. We hinder them when we hide them through neglect of the use of the means of grace in our home. We hide them from our children when we chase after other gods, and those gods control our schedules rather than Christ. We can hinder them when we withhold the means of grace from them. But how encouraging it can be when we take hold of those means of grace as parents, knowing that they are our life and pointers to Jesus, And then we extend those means of grace to our children. There is great hope for our household through the covenant promises of God and through his word. Jesus included children, even infants in his ministry. And so did the early church. The ancient church saw children and infants as vital parts of the covenant community. Possibly the oldest hymn in our hymnal. It's hymn number 117 in the Trinity. It was written in A.D. 200. And it reminds us of the inclusion in the ancient church of infants and children. Listen to the words. Shepherd of tender youth, guiding in love and truth through devious ways. Christ, our triumphant King, we come thy name to sing. Hither our children 
bring to shout thy praise. So now until we die, sound we thy praises high and joyful sing. Infants and the glad throng who to thy church belong, unite to swell the song to Christ our King. Jesus said emphatically, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of God. But entrance into the kingdom is not automatic. It does not come by way of baptism. It does not come by way of catechetical instruction. It does not come by way of religious resolve or trying to merit God's mercy or gain his grace through our works. How then do we gain entrance into the kingdom of God? With children possibly still in his arms, Jesus stressed the necessity of entering the kingdom of God as little children. He said, if you look at the second half of verse 16, for to such, that is little children, even infants, to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What did Jesus mean? Many people are enamored with the wonder of children and the wonder of childhood, and we speak much of their innocence and the joy and their trusting nature, that trusting nature of little children. And in one sense, that is right. Well, maybe not so much the innocent part. Remember what the psalmist said, that from the moment of conception, we received a sinful nature. And so no parent had to sit down and catechize their children on how to lie, cheat, or steal. We didn't have to train them in selfishness or impatience or anger. That comes naturally to little sinners. Nevertheless, there is a sense of innocence that draws us towards children, a sense of trusting that draws us towards them. And so Phil Riken reminds us concerning Jesus' teaching that we're to come to him with a wide-eyed wonder, full-minded faith, and wholehearted love of a child. We come to Jesus with that kind of simplicity, the simplicity of a child receiving such care from his or her parents. But I really believe there's more that Jesus is getting at in this verse. These parents were bringing not just their teenagers and toddlers, they were bringing They're infants. Infants are even more helpless than children. They're too young to express trust, too young to understand dependence, too young to acknowledge the source of their sustenance. What do they do? They just receive. That's it. Jesus isn't simply emphasizing an innocency or dependence or a trust. Jesus is emphasizing their utter absolute helpless condition of an infant. James Edwards writes, Jesus does not bless the children for their virtue, but for their deficits. They are important to him because of what they lack. They are small, powerless, without sophistication, overlooked, and dispossessed. Jesus thus emphasizes in the strongest possible way that the kingdom is offered to the helpless, the needy, the powerless, and the weak. 
That's his point. Not the sweet innocence of infancy. And, and so contrary to the conventional wisdom of their day, Jesus was teaching in the words of Kent Hughes, we must not think that a child cannot come to God until he's a man, but a man cannot come until he is like a child. So what does it look like? What does it mean to come to Jesus like a child? Well, we come abandoning all of our preconceived notions of merit. We come forsaking whatsoever any works that we might think make us worthy of his acceptance. We come acknowledging our absolute, utter, helpless, unworthy condition. And we come simply extending the hands of faith and receiving God's grace as a gift offered to us. In John's introduction to his gospel, we read these words, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That's how we enter the kingdom, helpless, hopeless, absolutely unworthy, and utterly dependent upon the work of Christ, trusting in him alone. We enter the kingdom by receiving his grace the same way a helpless infant receives its nourishment. Just receiving. But the natural man refuses to do this. We, we still want to claim our own and maintain our own innocence. We still want to work enough to somehow offer to God something that surely gives him reason to turn his heart and his eye towards us. The natural man is bent on earning in some form or fashion salvation by works and maintaining his or her innocence. So what do we need before we will even receive this free offer. We need to be born again. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, one of the leading teachers, if not the leading teacher in all of Israel, came to Jesus under cover of darkness, inquiring about salvation. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So what does a stubborn, meritorious heart like mine need before it will even receive the gift of Christ? I need to be born again. I need the regenerating, life-changing power, the supernatural changing power of the Holy Spirit to, to bring me to that point of utter helplessness and dependency and seeing my sin and my desperate need of the Savior. And as the Holy Spirit grants us new hearts, we respond in faith and we simply, we don't work, we receive the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we see. This is how we humbly enter the kingdom of God by faith in the Son of God. It is not automatic. It is not by baptism. It is not by catechetical instruction. You must be born again. I remember when I was in high school visiting Six Flags over Georgia 
and sing a t-shirt that simply read, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. How true. Jesus said, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. In the early 1970s, Chuck Colson, who was Richard Nixon's right-hand man, was proud and powerful, arrogant and accomplished, sophisticated and self-assured. But he got caught up in the Watergate investigation. He was tried, convicted, and he was sentenced to prison. And while in prison, this extremely powerful and proud man was humbled, and he came to faith in Christ. He was born again. When he was released from prison, he wrote an autobiography entitled, Born Again. Years after that, he began a ministry, founded the ministry, Prison Fellowship. And years later, he was sitting in a prison by a podium. He was about to preach to hundreds of prisoners who had gathered together for an Easter morning service. And Colson said this, When all at once I realized it was not my successes God had used to enable me to help those in prison, or in hundreds of others just like it, my life of success was not what made this morning so glorious. All my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure. I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use for my life. He chose the one thing I could not glory in for His glory. Indeed, that's how we enter the kingdom of God. Coming to the realization of our failure, of our utter dependence, of our utter need of the Savior, and the Spirit opens our eyes to the beauty and the glory of Jesus, and we receive Him by faith as He is offered in the gospel. And so rather than coming to Jesus in our pride and arrogance, we come helpless, defenseless, wholly dependent, and utterly unworthy, simply receiving what God has accomplished through His Son. You know, all this began with the disciples rebuking parents for bringing their infants to Jesus, but it ends with Jesus gently rebuking His disciples by reminding them not only that we must let the little children come to Him, but if we are to come to Him, we must come as little children. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would humble our stubborn, pride-filled, self-righteous hearts and bring us to that point, if you have not already, of absolute humility before the face of the holy living God, that by your Spirit you would work in us hearts that simply trust and receive and rest upon Christ's work alone our salvation. And so, Father, we confess our helpless dependence upon you, confessing we are but unworthy recipients of your grace and mercy and love for us in Christ. 
Thank you, Father, for accepting us on such weak, feeble terms as we rest our souls in the strong arms and welcoming embrace of Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.